Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome into Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler, from the Draft Network, and we're just a little bit over a week away from the NFL Draft in Vegas. A week from now, I'll be on an airplane out to Sin City. Super, super excited, as I'm sure you guys are as well. And today's pod is going to be focused on last year's class for Washington, and I wanted to take an in-depth look at each of Washington selections on both sides of the ball and kind of give you guys a full recap of what we expected heading into last year, what we actually saw from certain guys in certain roles, whether they had substantial roles on offense or defense or guys that were primary special teams players. So I really want to just get into a, a rookie review and that starts out with the 19th overall pick last year in the first round and that was Jamin Davis, linebacker out of Kentucky and heading into the year obviously when you take a guy in the first round and on day one you have expectations for him and there was a major major hole again in the middle of that Washington defense and Jamie Davis a guy at Kentucky that had a SEC experience and was an elite athlete again guys that Ron Rivera and, and GM Martin Mayhew have kind of prioritized in their draft process the last few years as far as getting guys that have these supreme elite athletic profiles, allow them to do a lot of different things. And Jamin Davis fit that mold. And heading into the last couple of weeks, it was kind of up in the air where Washington was going to go last year, whether they potentially were going to make try to make a move up, try to grab a quarterback. You know, who really knew what Washington was going to do until we really got to dive into the process of what Ravon Rivera is looking for in the middle of his defense, a nucleus defender, the type of character guy, Jamin Davis, has a military background, and that's what sold him on ultimately taking him with the 19th overall pick. But who he is as a person, as a side, want to focus on football, and obviously the expectations are there in year two, and he's going to have to produce, um, or we're going to have some you know, some major concerns surrounding Jamin Davis. But when you look at this Washington defense and how they pre- played last year, specifically Jamin, there's a lot of room to grow, I think would be the best way to describe his his first rookie season. He, you know, was a guy that didn't trust his eyes, wasn't, you know, understanding really what was going on from an offensive concept standpoint. He was tricked a lot of the time. He was a bull in a china shop where he'd be able to work downhill and all of a sudden the plays five, seven yards behind him. And it's one of those what the hell moments. And we saw that a lot on film, especially in the game out in Vegas, a couple times coming up and trying to make plays on screens or Certain times when Vegas was trying to run some power to the outside and he was trying to you know, flash through an A or B gap and trying to just get in the backfield and wrangle guys down for TFLs. And before he knew it, you know, the guard would throw out his right or left hand and the play would be you know, behind him and he'd be chasing the play consistently. And all we saw was you know, the back of his numbers, just 52 running downfield. So I think moving into this year, it's going to be, you know, as you say, it's slow till you know. And for Jamin Davis, that is... You know, staple it on you know on the on the front of his helmet this year heading into camp. And for him, once he begins to learn, um, you know, the intricacies and differentiations of personnel groupings of offenses, and 
understanding his athletic skill set, what he's able to do as a supreme athlete. All the tools are there for him to be an excellent linebacker in this league. By no means am I going to try to compare him to a Bobby Wagner, someone in the middle of the defense that's going to just be a you know, 10 to potentially 15-year starter in this league and in Washington, or try to compare him to the past guys in Washington like a London Fletcher, or even farther back to guys like LeVar Arrington. But Jamin Davis has all the athletic skill set to be a highly impactful player. And considering what Jack Del Rio asks of his linebackers, and it's to do a lot, but he has that ability to come downhill and work in the run. And then he has the ability to slide out and cover tight ends and cover running backs and do some different things in coverage and allow Del Rio to consistently be creative in what they want to do on defense. And last year, it may have helped him. He was thrown to the fire right away, facing you know any headlining quarterback in the NFL from Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert, Tom Brady. They faced all those guys last year, and that's only going to help him moving forward, especially when you go back and he looks at the film. So Jamin Davis, the first pick, a 19 overall last year. Major expectations coming into year two. He got better as the season went on last year. I think his role, especially like looking back at last year and how they used David Mayo at the end of the year, and he was kind of battling snaps with him, and he got some reps as a wide nine rusher late in the year. It was kind of up in the air as far as what we kind of saw Del Rio's role Sam Davis was going to be. But get him on the outside opposite of Cole Holcomb. Whether they really want to address a middle linebacker in this year's draft remains to be seen. Or they want to run just two linebackers with that Buffalo nickel that Landon Collins did. So kind of that two main linebacker sets with that Buffalo nickel hybrid safety linebacker role. Jamin Davis is, is a guy that, you know, it's a process. We're so results oriented in today's league and in every league, whether it's NHL, NBA, Major League Baseball, but understand that there is a process to this thing. And working under two former NFL linebackers in Rivera and in Del Rio, Jamie Davis is going to be absolutely fine. And I'm really excited to see what he'll produce in year two. And now on to round two and not arguably their best pick out of last year's draft. It was the clear poster child of the class in offensive tackle Sam Cosme when Washington took him in the second round at 51st overall out of Texas. Big athletic kid. You know, he started nine games when he was healthy, but the main issue is that he just wasn't healthy throughout the year. Um, But main thing with him is that you try to project him into year two and it's such a veteran line and you add Andrew Norwell left guard, even though you lost Brandon Sheriff to his left shoulder, you know, speaking of Cosme, Wes Schweitzer will step in at another veteran and he's working opposite of Charles Leno now. And you got a veteran in Carson Wentz leading the charge and granted it's a new offense and that will take some time to get fully adjusted. But projecting Sam Cosme and, and his also looking back to his success last year, Again, another guy with an elite athletic profile, one of the most athletic tackles in last year's class. He was outstanding in the nine games that he played. I think it was, you know, from week one, it was a little bit of, hey, you know, welcome to the league rook um, moment when he had to face Joey Bosa. Um, and, and Bosa got a couple sacks off of him in week one against the Chargers. But from then on, whether you saw him in the run game or you saw him in the pass game, his ability to anchor and just throw guys around, um, he was absolutely outstanding. And I think when you're able to couple that athletic ability and the technical refinement 
from the tackle spot that Cosme does have. And as he gets older, he's only going to get better and better working with the veterans that I mentioned and working under John Matsko, the offensive line coach, who's done such an excellent job being here in Washington. Um, Sam Cosme has a chance to be a potential you know, top 15 tackle in this league uh, in, in due time, whether it's you know two, three years down the road or, or heck, even if it's this year. Um, he's just got to stay healthy and got to stay on the field. He dealt with a lot of injuries last year. And as we know, you know, the best ability is availability. And But in nine games and from what we saw from Sam Cosme, you know, he is the de facto starting right tackle now and, and for at least the next three, four years, you'd think, um, for that Washington offensive line. And he was a heck of a player last year and definitely the top pick, if you were to say from a performance standpoint, for Washington last year. So... From there, I want to move on to Washington's next pick. And that came with Benjamin St. Juice in the third round. They took him at 74th overall, big 6'3 corner out of Minnesota. And initially when they took him, it was a kind of up in the air where he was, was he going to play corner or was he going to play that Buffalo nickel role that we talk about a lot? And I know obviously heading into last season, it was, is Landon Collins going to slide to the second level and be that outside linebacker role? Or is he going to play the Buffalo nickel? Because he's sure as heck not taking snaps from Cam Curl safety. And obviously this is before they brought in Bobby McCain during the middle of the year. And we knew that Landon Collins had issues in coverage. So when they drafted Benjamin St. Juice, he looked as of then to be the immediate CB3 working on, you know, behind William Jackson and Kendall Fuller. And I think that's kind of the role that we should see him working this year, potentially sliding into CB2, because we know even when in Kendall Fuller's first stint in Washington, he was best kicked into the slot and working over the nickel. So if he has the ability with St. Jude's to stay healthy, and I know he had some concussion issues, kind of was the theme of last year with Cosby missing time, St. Jude's, Gianni Brown, a lot of these guys missed time. But if St. Jude's can stay healthy, he has all the length, all the coverage ability, whether they want to run zone they want to run man. And that's the thing too with Jack Del Rio's defense is that he wants to be able to run man. I mean, how many times over the last couple of years have we seen, especially on long down in distances on third down, third seven, third and eight, third and nine, and Washington just sits in zone and, you know, you got tight ends running over the middle of the field and they're just sitting eight yards and it's an easy pitch and catch and the guy falls forward and it's 10 yards and it's first down, right? And that's frustrating to see. But you have athletes like St. Juice and William Jackson, and you put Kendall Fuller with a slot. And now you are you have some options on the outside, and you can be able to run man. And potentially, if you grab a corner in the first round of this year's draft, or you add another safety, or you add a guy to, to plug into that Buffalo nickel role, and you really allow Benjamin St. Juice to kind of grow into the talent that they think he could be, and why they used a day two pick on him last year out of Minnesota. So with St. Just, I mean, looking back to last year, it, there really wasn't much to hang your hat on as far as this was outstanding or this wasn't good or these are things just to improve on. By no means is he perfect. But from a skill set standpoint, I think everything is there for him to become a CB2 or a high CB3 in this league. And you're going to need it within a division, right? That's, that's touting Devontae Smith in Philadelphia. And they may add a guy in this class from the wide receiver spot. And in Dallas, granted, they lost Mari Cooper, but it's C.D. Lamb, it's Michael Gallup. They got Dalton Schultz at tight end. And then you look in New York, and they drafted Kadarius Toney last year in the first round. They have Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton. They brought in Kenny Galladay 
as their main free agency acquisition last year. They're expected to be better on offense this year. So you're going to need corners. You can never have enough pop at that position. And when you use a day two pick on a guy, especially 6'3", physical, has experience in a power five conference out of big out of the Big Ten. So just stay healthy. I know he had some concussion issues last year, but I expect a substantial role from St. Juice this year. And I'm really excited to see you know, how he'll produce. And then on the next pick for Washington in the third round, and they had three day two selections. Unfortunately, you know, they don't have that luxury this year. We're just six overall total picks. But in the third round, you know, Washington right behind St. Juice, they took De'Ami Brown, wide receiver out of North Carolina. And I know a lot of you out there were very disappointed with the success that, or lack thereof, that De'Ami had last year working alongside Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel. Well, you know, we're not going to go there. Curtis Samuel was supposed to be, you know, wide receiver too in that ultimate chess piece. But, you know, hopefully this year he'll be good to go. But when they initially drafted De'Ami, he was supposed to be the bona fide wide receiver three behind Samuel and behind McLaurin. And it just didn't play out that way. And, you know, the kid played 15 games, had 12 catches, but you look at his success at North Carolina as their wide receiver one working with Sam Howell and kind of how eyes were taken off of him because they had a good backfield with Javante Williams and Michael Carter. And they had Daz Newsom as a perimeter target as well. And you kind of projected him in the Washington offense with obviously everyone focusing on Terry McLaurin. And you got Antonio Gibson in the backfield and you got Logan Thomas at tight end. So you can't really focus all your eyes on a rookie in the third round, right? I mean, it's not kind of depleting the amount of ability that Brown has. Um, And again, as we know, the wide receiver position is, again, a direct correlation of success with the quarterback position. And an improvement at that position this year will and should help everybody, not just Ayami. But 12 catches in your rookie year in 15 games is is just not going to cut it as a day two pick. And if there's anybody from last year's class, rookie class, that has a lot of expectations on their shoulders this year of anybody, it's got to be Deami Brown. Um, It remains to be seen if Washington is going to take a Chris Olave or a Drake London or a Jameson Williams in round one. And I will talk about that on a pod that comes out Thursday in my final predictive mock draft. So that will come out Thursday. I'm looking forward to doing that and releasing that out for you guys. But with Diami this year, snaps are going to be have to be earned and targets are going to have to be earned. And you got a veteran slinging around Carson Wentz. Obviously, Terry McLaurin is wide receiver one and Curtis Samuels can be healthy. And we obviously know the role that Logan Thomas has in the passing game and Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick and how Scott Turner, defensive coordinator, likes to work them around and flex them out wide and offer some unique looks. Diami Brown's got to put together you know, a good season and be able to create some separation um, when eyes are drawn elsewhere. And uh, it's going to be a heck of a battling camp. You know, whether they expect more out of, you know, seventh rounder Dax Milne, who caught just three balls less than Deami last year and someone that will compete his tail off. And they expect Calvin Harmon to come back and, and compete. Cam Sims is back. So there's a lot of players in that, you know, in that receiver's room, guys that can catch some ball. And that's, again, that's not even including an Olave, a Williams or a London or someone that Washington may select with that 11th overall pick. So... Dummy Brown's just got to put together a season where he's able to put everything together, able to stay healthy, and create some separation on the outside to where, you know, he warrants Washington taking him, you know, in the third round last year. 
So, on to day three. And John Bates in the fourth round with the 124th overall selection tight end out of Boise State. And I really enjoyed watching John Bates this year. And I think the tight end position is a tricky one to project right now for Washington. Obviously, Ricky Seals-Jones is now a New York Giant and he's gone. And I know fan favorite Samus Reyes. All you guys out there love him a lot. I think he's a physical freak. But projecting him to have a substantial role in the NFL offense is just kind of not in the cards right now. Um, So... You got Logan Thomas and you got John Bates as your tight end one and tight end two. And by no means, I don't I don't want to compare John Bates to, I know this name will make a lot of you cringe out there, but Jeremy Sprinkle, you know, when he was here in Washington, a guy they drafted out of Arkansas a couple of years back and now a Dallas Cowboy. But John Bates is much more than what Sprinkle was as a further extension of the line. And Bates can, you know, sure, he blocks his ass off. That, that's for sure. You turn on the film, he's one of the best uh, run blocking tight ends in the league last year and one of the premier run blockers as a rookie tight end as well which speaks to his you know ability to displace grown men in the run coming right out of Boise State and that physical strength and the lower half mobility to reach and seal guys and just do a lot of different things along the line now not in no means is he going to be a Logan Thomas where he's running routes and a premier red zone threat and be able to create, you know, 20, 30 yard receptions after catching it, you know, 10, 15 yards down the field. He's not a, not going to be that athletic monster that you kind of see from these premier tight ends in football. And I think putting Logan Thomas as a premier tight end in the category, if he's able to stay healthy, I think would be warranted. I think he's definitely a top 10 tight end in this league when he's healthy and what he's able to do. But with John Bates and his ability and what he showed last year, I think this is a case where he just could fall case to just the athletic tight ends that are coming out this year. Um, I don't know if Washington, again, with just six picks, I don't think they'll take a tight end just to take one, but you saw how successful he was last year and it really was a joy to watch and someone that can really stick their face in. Um, But we know how pass happy the NFL is nowadays and you got to have guys that create. And we've seen how good Washington has been in the past when they want to run 12 personnel. And when I say 12 personnel, that's two tight ends. So one running back, two tight ends, 12 personnel. Fred Davis, Chris Cooley, Jordan Reed, Vernon Davis. I mean, kind of the names go on and on as far as the successful 12 personnel pairings that Washington has had over the years. Uh, I don't see that with Thomas and Bates um, you know, working into this year. So if they want to potentially bring in a guy to challenge for snaps with John, that remains to be seen. But just looking off last year and the success that he had in 17 games, caught 20 balls that led all rookies for Washington as far as pass catching, pass catching standpoint, had 249 yards, had a touchdown. So he showed some pop, especially in the back end of the year, catching footballs. And if you know, they do see him potentially progressing into a guy that will feed off of Thomas well, or if Logan isn't able to stay on the field and he's consistently on the shelf and they had that confidence in John Bates, he might be, and I know for you fantasy guys out there, he might be a sneaky, sneaky ad at the tight end position for, for Carson Wentz. And we've seen how successful he's been with tight ends in the past and Dallas, you know, Dallas Goddard and, and Zach Ertz up in Philadelphia. And then the time that he had in Indianapolis with working with Miley Cox. So 
John Bates, I think, had an excellent year in year one. It's kind of up in the air as far as what to expect in year two. I think he will definitely make the roster. Um, but trying to project him more as a guy that's going to be involved in the pass offense, I think he could grow. I think that potential is there. But he's kind of a wild card right now as far as from you know projecting a substantial role into this year. But just looking back at last year, I was extremely happy with how John Bates played. You can't have enough of those guys. Just bring your lunch pail to work every day. And um, I was really, really happy with that ad for you know John Bates in the fourth round out of Boise State last year. So now we're kind of getting into the back end of the draft here in the fifth round. And with the 163rd overall pick, Washington took Derek Forrest safety out of Cincinnati and played only eight games last year. And for him, it was much more of just a strict special teams role. And that's kind of similar to how many scouts and talent evaluators moving into this year see Cincinnati safety Brian Cook will come out in this year's draft as probably a late day two, early day three pick for someone. And I don't know as of now if Jack Del Rio sees Forrest as a guy that can plug in right away at the Buffalo nickel spot. I don't think he's working, you know, over Cam Curl or Bobby McCain. So that may be his only route to snaps. But another supreme athlete that can do a lot of different things. And we look at special teams and it's hard to think about how high the team's consistently on Troy Apke. And every time I, I say that, I feel like I'm just going to dry heave watching Troy Apke and the, the limited value that he offers as a quote, you know, from Ron Rivera, quote, special teams ace. But the game is much more than linear speed. And sure, Troy Apke runs a 4-2, but it doesn't offer you anything on the back end from a coverage standpoint. Man or zone, cannot fill, cannot tackle with, as far as, as far as trying to compare him to a Cam Curl or Bobby McCain or Derek Forrest or even a Cleek Hudson or, you know, these talents that Washington has and trying to keep a guy like Apke last year when they cut someone like Jimmy Moreland on the roster who showed some pop at the corner spot and working over the nickel. So for Derek Forrest, you know, you know I'm not going to go too much on my Troy Apke rant. Don't want to get too involved there. But that's a roster spot and that's a jersey, right? And you only have 53 of them each week and each roster spot matters, especially when your team coming off of two sub 500 campaigns. Everybody needs to have an impact and you got to have depth at positions. And for me, Troy Apke is just not the guy, but for Derek Forrest and moving into this year, round five guy last year's got the talent to be a core special teamer and have some impact on, on kickoff return and punt return. And, you know, as a gunner on the outside and has that physicality to blow through blocks and make up, make some plays um, I could see him working in some as a rotational defender if you know he were to give you know McCain or Curl a blow and, and give them some time on the sideline. Um, but as of right now, I, I don't see an immediate you know high total snaps for Derek Forrest in year two just because there there will be a lot of talent in that secondary. I think it's pretty much a lock right now. The safeties and corners are going to be, and I'm pretty sure Washington will add some talent in the secondary in this draft. So. I could see him being a core special teamer, and that's really, as of right now, kind of what I see uh, for Derek Forrest. But last year, eight games, core special teamer. Um, there's just really not much to expect moving into year two. So on to the sixth round, and the most fun out of the ordinary selection, and that's when Washington took Cameron Cheeseman, long snapper out of Michigan, and played all 17 games, as you'd expect, 
Um, and that was an interesting selection last year. And I know for, for a lot of you guys out there that fell in love with kind of the trio that we had with Dustin Hopkins, Tress Way, and Nick Sunberg, who was here for a long time. And that trio of specialists were, you know, made up one of the best core special teams units in the NFC, or you could argue that they were one of the best units in the league. And Nick Sunberg was one of the best at his job, just consistent. And we, obviously we know the long snapping position in special teams is uber important when you get to the NFL level and the ability to consistently, you know, deliver accurate snaps on time, whether you're working in rain or in snow or you're on turf or you're on grass, that relationship with Sunberg to Tress Wade to Dustin Hopkins when he was here mattered. And when they released Sunberg and then they drafted Cameron Cheeseman, granted, it's a long snapper. And I remember just, you know, years back when the only pro bowler Washington had one year was Ethan Albright. And I know that name is going way back for some of you like, Ethan Albright, wow. You know, we're going way back here with the Burgundy and Gold history. But, you know, one of the years, it, it matters. And um, using it in, in the sixth round, and it's obviously someone that they liked. Again, started 17 games. There were no issues. Um, you know, had a big moment in week two, obviously, when Washington beat New York. And clean snaps. Tressway, one of the best punters in the league. That's always fun to say because if you have a really good punter, usually you're not that great. If you have a great punter, you're seeing him on the field a lot. But Cameron Cheeseman was the pick in the sixth round, kind of moving on from the veteran trio that they had, you know, with Sunberg and Hopkins obviously leaving early last year and Tressway is still in place. But I think Cheeseman did a good job. Uh, how much can you expect out of a long snapper? But uh, in the sixth round, a guy that came in did his job and that's all you can ask for. So then we're on the seventh round, three seventh round picks for Washington last year. And it started out with William Bradley King, a big boy out of Baylor and played just three games last year. And is a guy that I expect to have a nice substantial role as a depth piece behind Chase Young and Montez Sweat this year. Had a half a sack towards back end of the year, but someone that showed a lot of flash at Baylor and as a bigger body, I would like to see him potentially even meet slide inside a little bit and get some reps at three tech, I think he has a, a strong lower half where he's ability to anchor against some guards and some double teams. I think even moving into this year, because Washington has such limited depth at defensive tackle with Ionitis and Settle now gone, it's you know it's Deron Payne, it's John Allen, and it's David Bada, an international pathway program player, and it's Tyler Clark, who spent some time on the Chiefs practice squad last year. That's your depth. And William Bradley King is obviously going, you know, not not going to be working over Chase Young and Montez, and they still have Shaka Tony, who I'll get to in a minute, and Casey Tuhill and Bunmi Rotimi, and they brought in F.A. Obata as that rotational piece from Buffalo this year, who should get some reps as a veteran in this league, who's shown some sack production. So William Bradley King again, it's another kind of feather in the hat of Ron Rivera, bringing in guys that are going to be able to compete for snaps. And this is now after selecting James Smith Williams last year in the seventh round as a hyphenated last name edge rusher that did it last year again and drafting William Bradley King. So wouldn't be surprised if this year you go into the back end in the seventh round or something, one of their two seventh rounds, and they potentially draft an edge rusher. Um, so don't be surprised if that happens. But, you know, it's a, um, I think Bradley King had a decent year last year. It's, it's, it's three games, half a sack, didn't get many snaps. Um, but someone with an athletic profile, I think, that will, will be able to work and challenge for some snaps uh, come the early portion of next year. And then on to the next pick in the seventh round, just six picks later, when they took Shaka Tony, defensive end out of Penn State. 
flashed a ton at the back end of the year when Chase Young and Montez Sweat were out. And he was kind of working with those rotational pieces in Two Hill and Routine Me and Daniel Wise. And coming out of Penn State, like Shaka Tony, you look back to Penn State's pro day last year and he blew it up. And all the attention was focused on Micah Parsons and Odafe Away. Grant, those two guys had excellent rookie seasons with Parsons in Dallas and away in Baltimore last year. And Shaka Tony came in as a guy that, after taking William Bradley King, it was kind of like, hey, you know, these guys are going to challenge for snaps. You're in the seventh round. You like a guy, you take your guy. It's almost a, a case of BPA. Who cares if it was another edge rusher or a uh, wide receiver or a running back? You know, if you're if that's your guy in the seventh round, that's your guy. And obviously last year, this was Washington's guy. This was Martin Mayhew and Ron Rivera's guy. And he had a sack and a half in his rookie year. And, you know, he only appeared in 10 games. And for most of the year, he was a guy that was in street clothes for the majority of the season. But when he got his opportunity to bend the edge and wreak some havoc in the backfield, he was... You know, by no means was he TJ Watt, but he was able to push the pocket a little bit and kind of show some of that flash that he had at Penn State and that technical refinement in his hands and a quick lower half and the ability to jump to the inside, jump to the outside, bend the edge, work around the counters of the offensive linemen. So this is someone that I'm really, really high on moving into year two, and I think that could have a nice role behind Sweat and Young and whether even Washington wants to run some unique looks where they have Young, Sweat, and Tony on the field. I think grabbing a guy with that athletic profile in the seventh round and having a sack and a half last year in just 10 games and didn't have any health issues last year and ability to come in right away from OTAs and working in a training camp as someone that they need that depth on the outside. You always need edge rushers. You can never have enough pop at the position. Let him get after the quarterback a little bit this year. And I'm really excited out of anybody from last year's class from the edge spot looking forward for him developing. You can get young going, sweat going, there be healthy. We can, you know, we know what we can get from all those guys when they're, you know, 100% healthy and they're, they're going and feeding off each other. And then you throw a guy in there like Shaka Tony, kind of that role that initially Ryan Kerrigan had when he went up to Philadelphia last year and Heck, he had two sacks against Tom Brady in the Eagles playoff game against Tampa Bay. Shaka Tony could have that potential role here in Washington with those fresh legs, you know, constantly coming in on, on pass, you know, passing downs, long down and distances. Just let him pin his ears back and get after the quarterback. And I'm excited to see Shaka Tony's development. So, and with that, moving to the final selection of last year's draft. And again, another diamond in the rough, potentially. And Dax Milne, wide receiver out of BYU, taken with the 258th overall pick. So you're diving deep now into the back end of this draft. And the guy that had nine catches last year, 83 yards, but also provided some pop on special teams. You know, when he came out last year, it was, you know, he was Zach Wilson at BYU, his, his top target. And he was excellent. You know, one of the best, if you will, receivers in college football last year, doing everything for that BYU Cougars offense, that high-octane attack, that high-octane aerial barrage that Zach Wilson put on teams when he was at BYU in 2020. So looking at Dax and his success last year and what was a wide receiver room that was really disappointing, um, one that was expected to be much, much better, 
He came in and did a fine job. Played 13 games. Again, I mentioned his impact on special teams a little bit. But he earned some snaps towards the back end. And I think when people, you can compare him a little bit to the skill set that Adam Humphreys has. Whether he fills that role this year remains to be seen. I don't see him working primarily in the slot or having that experience that Humphreys had. Who knows, you know, how he comes into camp. Is he, is he bigger? Is he stronger? He's got, you know, a year under his belt of NFL experience and working in the NFL strength and conditioning program, which will help him. But coming out of the draft, Dax Milne is a guy that can work all three levels of the offense. You know, by no means is he talent of Deami Brown's level or, you know, a Curtis Samuel or what Terry McLaurin was able to do. But those wide receiver three or wide receiver four or five on your roster that you need to have an impact from. And if you want to run, you know, trips left and have, you know, double right or whatever you want to do, bringing a guy on like Dax Milne with those sure hands, and I think he has ideal speed to be able to create a little bit over the middle of the field, tough as nails, and then, can you know, third down, you can complete a pass on third and seven. And he's out there a gunner on special teams working his way downfield. You can't have enough of those guys. And he's going to come in. He's going to compete his tail off. I was really happy with what I saw out of Dax Milne last year. No means is he a world beater. Again, seventh round, you're taking flyers on guys here. They don't work out. They don't work out. If they do, great. It's a diamond in the rough. He's still on a rookie contract. I I do expect him to compete for snaps. He's a fan favorite. He's a coaching favorite. Um, I know a lot of you guys out there compared him to looking like a TikTok star, which is funny. He does, but um, you know, got that baby face kind of look to him. But I'm really excited to see him working into camp this year with what is expected to be a much improved facelift on the offense. And I think he could work into some targets as well this year. So with that, that is going to do it for today's episode of Commanding the Huddle. Always appreciate you guys tuning in. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you find your news, your podcast, you can find us at. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Ryan Fowler. You can find all of my work housed at thedraftnetwork.com. Get our mock draft machine fired up. we got a brand new website debuting here, I believe, in the next few days. Completely revamped look. I'm sure all you guys are going to love it. Look forward to hearing your feedback on social media with that. But again, as always, thank you guys for tuning in. I will see you on Thursday this week, or again, I will record on Wednesday. I'll be doing a full seven round, my last predictive mock draft for the commanders what i'm hearing where i'm believing they're gonna go in all seven rounds because folks we're just a week away a little bit over a week away let me get too excited until the 2022 nfl draft in las vegas so extra pumped you know days are, are starting to slow down a little bit we just keep looking at the clock um you know, but this is the best time of year. I'm super excited to to share all you know information with you guys when I'm hearing out of Ashburn. And you know, let's get this thing going here in just a week or so. And again, as always, thank you guys for tuning in. Pumped for these next few weeks, especially moving into the offseason and OTAs and getting this roster together and hopefully putting something special on the field this year, moving into a crucial season, the Ron Rivera tenure. So again, thanks as always for tuning in, and I'll talk to you guys soon. This is Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.